0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Johanna Soderstrom. Chief People Officer at Tyson Foods. As a member of the Tyson Foods Enterprise leadership team, Johanna brings over two decades of experience in global people solutions, employee engagement, and talent development. Before that, she served as Chief HR officer at the Dow Chemical Company and oversaw the company's cultural and organizational transformation through the Dow DuPont merger and spinoff. Johanna is also a member of the Board of Nest. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Johanna discuss how does Tyson make core values come to life across 139,000 staff worldwide what tactics helped Tyson achieve 78% completion on their employee engagement survey which is very very high and what mindset shift or aha moment transformed Johanna's approach to employee experience before diving into today's episode if you could please click subscribe and rate the podcast it would mean the world to us, helping our podcast appear in searches by other listeners interested in organizational culture. And if you're interested in learning more about our books or the Scaling Culture Masterclass, please head over to our website, scalingculture.org. Now on to the show.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today, all the way from Northwest Arkansas, Springdale, uh, we have Johanna Sordestrom. Johanna, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Good. Tell me, did I get, did I, you know, I'm dyslexic. Did I get them right? Did I pronounce the last name properly?
2: You did it very well. You did it very well. Very seldom that I (laughs) hear it spelled uh, or uh, pronounced exactly the way I say it. So
1: I did have to write it out, which was written differently than how it's spelled, but that was helpful for my brain. Well, well, look, uh, thanks for, um, you're my first podcast guest. I'll call it I'll almost po- pa- post pat leave because I t- I do have ten days left of paternity leave with my little uh, now twelve month old one year old we celebrate her birthday the little Margot Ireland love it so I'm I'm excited to be back I'm excited to get back into these conversations and look uh, obviously Tyson Foods being a massive brand I was very excited uh, when when um, I saw you in the guest roster so um, that that I'm I'm incredibly excited just to, to discuss. People and culture, uh, with from not only your experience but also to talk about Tyson Foods, because as executive vice president and chief people officer at Tyson Foods, I think this is going to make for a wonderful conversation. Okay. So let let's jump into it. Um, first off, just just can you can you bring us back in time? Uh, you 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 got into HR in the '90s, correct? Can you can you talk to us about you know because there's always seems to be this. Someone was in HR, sometimes a generalist, but then people in culture came into their life, and there was this transition. Can can you walk us through that?
2: Yeah, I, I'll be happy to. So, I studied in Finland in the in the nineties, and there was no such thing as human resources to be studied uh, back then in Finland. There was no such field, and I um, I had a uh, a um, master of of economics going on as my my major, and and I worked. On the side for a company called Ericsson, which I'm sure is very familiar to many people. At the same time, and I was I was working, interning in finance, in logistics, in marketing, and in this personnel administration uh, department that I actually felt was was pretty boring. Um, but the marketing thing had me hooked, so I decided I was going to do. Um, uh, my studies focused on marketing. I was going to intern in marketing and that was really exciting to me.
1: And Johanna, but, s- yeah. sorry s- sorry to interrupt, but what, what about it? What about marketing hooked you?
2: It was the customer side. It was the, the branding, the customers, the value proposition, the competition, just the intenseness of winning that it's just, you know, I'm I'm pretty addicted to different kinds of sports and my family does not play any board games with me because I'm so competitive. It's no fun. But anyway, point being, it was all about the winning that had Got me hooked with the customers. So um, the company asked me to to work in on a, on a project in the personnel department. And I am I I am honest here, it wasn't intriguing at all. Not at all.
1: It but wasn't it, intriguing.
2: No, it was not intriguing. It wasn't it didn't feel like it was gonna make me happy or give me fulfillment or career development or get me on the trajectory I saw myself uh, for the future in my career.
1: And what, what was the project exactly? It,
2: it had to do with um, it had to do with international assignments and how do we actually develop people during international assignment. Ericsson is one of the companies at that point in time that had probably the second most expats in the world next to Shell. And it, it started to be a question whether people, when they leave for assignments, they actually develop and they can come back to bigger roles and and, and uh, different kind of career paths. So that was the question, the hypothesis to be tested. And um, and I uh, there was also the question about building competency in general and what should competency development look like and tools around that and technology. That was that was probably a little more interesting. So I. Uh, I was convinced that it's probably something that's important for the company and I, I can learn from it. So let's do it. And then I'll get back to marketing and customer. <laughs> and something happened. There is, you know, you have these epiphanies, you have these moments in your career.
1: These aha moments.
2: These aha moments that will shape you. And you might not realize it just there and then. But it does carry you forward. And I had this epiphany. I had this moment and it has carried me through my 25 years in in HR and people and culture ever since. So let me talk to you about that moment. Please. (laughs) That was when I had to find a way to get more motivated about the projects that I was working on. I had to find something that was going to inspire me. And I was desperately seeking for what that was because I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to make sure that there's, my passion is involved and my fighter spirit or that winning when you are competing in a sports event. I wanted that to be part of it because I knew without that I was gonna be bored and I was probably not gonna be happy what I was do, with what I was doing. And my epiphany was as simple as this. If I can apply the little I knew then about marketing and customers and how we win in the marketplace, and transfer that to apply to the internal way of thinking, which would be around the employees. If I could consider that the employees are my customers, as simple as that, if I just can turn my thinking and my focus and put that filter that I had or my learning or whatever you want to call it, if I can put that on top of the employees, here at Tyson, we call our employees the team members, then, I could just make this work just as well as I would with the external world and the customers.
1: So when that hit you, so I feel like this was an, it sounds like this was an exciting moment. You're like, wow, it's just, it's almost that simple, but now it's going to be complex potentially. But, but it sounds, when you say it, it sounds fairly simple. Just treat people like a customer, but you had to go test your theory, right? So walk us through that. What happened? What was like, okay, I'm going to test this with a coworker.
2: Yeah. So the, the, again, I I have to be uh, very transparent here. I did not know a lot about marketing. You know, you had I, I had or, or about sales for that matter. What you had from your from a bachelor's degree in marketing by then, and and what I had through my um, early touch points with uh, the strict competitiveness between Nokia and Ericsson, the rivals. Right. So I knew a little bit about that. Uh, and and how would I then apply it to the employees? I was thinking through the different scenarios about winning. What, the, what does winning mean with employees? And I had to think about environments and situations through the vocabulary of personnel or human resources. <laughs> what, what does it really mean? So I, I, I found a few examples, like hiring, for example. I was involved in university recruiting, and I was thinking like, Okay, we are in Finland. The Finns want to work for Nokia. That's an icon.
1: Right, Google. People.
2: Exactly. However, our rival in sports, the Swedish ice hockey team, was always a rival to the Finnish ice hockey team, was Ericsson. So here I find myself working for Ericsson in the territory of the Finns. Right. How do we win the best possible talent to come to work for Ericsson? because they're in Finland and they all want to work for Nokia. What does that look like? How do I win market share? How do I win customers who are brand loyal <laughs> to one company to change and try something else? That was I'm the gonna, I'm
1: going to have a fun guess. Did you did you to entice them to come to Ericsson? Did you give them a free Nokia cell phone?
2: <laughs> you wish, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So, I'm curious.
2: So, we we're rethinking our whole university recruiting through that lens. What what will look different if we think about it from that university students lens and perspective, just like you do when you think about it from a, a, a consumer's perspective? What would it look like? What are the things that matter? Well, what things that matter is really to understand what your company is all about. Why is it worth even looking at this company versus the other company,
1: right. these
2: products versus the other products. So that meant just coming up with what I would say is is, is very defined moments that matter. And mind you, this is early 1990s. This is before uh, design thinking or uh, customer experience, employee experience were concepts. But that's exactly but, what we did.
1: Johanna, were you, were you also, it sounds like you had to, to do an employee journey like you would a customer journey from sales to onboarding to managing the customer. So it sounds like you were kind of going to break things down like that or am I wrong?
2: No, no, you're right. Exactly. That was uh, was the approach. Now, I don't think it was sophisticated like that, um, but it had those same touch points. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about the same people showing up at recruitment fairs and trying to have shinier or fancier giveaways or banners at the stands. That wasn't what it was about. It was a totally different approach to create an experience. And that experience meant, (laughs) you're gonna put this in context of what Finland is really known for, right? (laughs) That meant sending a bus to the campus, picking up hand-selected students that were uh, hand selected by their professors for for being you know top of the class, having certain attributes that we had asked for and looked for, picking them up, bringing them to the Ericsson offices, uh, doing what Finns do really well, feed them, give them things to drink, have fun, and and just show us uh, show them a good time at the same time as we talk about what the company is all about. What do we stand for? And we do hard work, but we also know how to have fun. You know the things that actually really do appeal to. So, so it, it
1: sounds like this. This I'm going to call this a tactic. The strategy was used to create buy-in and convert people into fans, so that they would then fight for the job. Spot on. Right. Spot on. And he worked B- because then you have to have a balance, right? So if I don't know how many students we're talking, let's say 100 students, and you had 30 jobs. So you're trying to get everyone fighting back to this winning spirit that you were looking for when you had your aha moment, but when they fight, how did you balance between, what was the balance between, okay, we have our pick of the litter now, we've got a hundred or maybe it's down to 80 that are excited, but we can only take 30 we need to take the best of the best. How did you, tell tell us about how you shifted gears in the mindset while continuing to treat them as a customer, but, but shift gears to screening.
2: Yeah. So what happened was that this was a reoccurring thing. So it happened over a period of time, we did the same thing. And I think we learned a lot in the process of not just inviting everyone. Like you talk about applicant flow matters. Yes, it does. But quality matters more. Right. So how do you narrow in on what exactly are you looking for? The other thing which uh, we got better at as well is there is a way to, not use these events as assessment centers <laughs> but to still right. view how people are able to interact and bring themselves you know to to mm-hmm. the conversations and be part of it and ask questions you know all of those things that you do in high potential programs as well
1: and Johanna I'm, I'm I'm interested how what were some of the strategies you did to narrow the field because you it sounds like there was a learning experience wow way too broad this is too messy for us what were some of the things that you did that maybe are still applicable to business today?
2: Yeah, there there are a few things that I think I would call out. There was uh, being much more selective on the criteria. What are you looking for? And and one of the things that holds true today, which was still back then the case, is the curiosity aspect. Like people who are willing to just learn and go figure things out. And, And that's hard for professors sometimes to nail down you know when we said that's what we're looking for we're looking for the innovative minds who are curious and willing to try things differently i mean that's that's what that whole feel was about and still is um, new products and innovation and um and i think we we were working a, in a very broad assumption what that looked like and then we got better and this is i think where you know Try to put your na- your finger on today, what curiosity really is, mm. it's hard. <laughs> it's right. really hard to really assess for that. But through examples, uh, I think we're getting better at it. That was one thing that I wish we would have done even better. But that specifically helped narrow the group.
1: It's interesting, you know, I talk about curiosity a lot in the the, the screening, because and I'll <clears throat> for my company, uh, Vita, our real estate company, innovation's important to us, and so, Curiosity at the management level, at least, um, is an important attribute because I think it drives innovation. So when we screen for that, you know, today what we do is we'll ask, well, so I'm curious your thoughts on that. So we pivot a little bit because what we used to do is ask people, you know, what have you done to innovate at work? What have you done, blah, 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 in your last past experience? But then we found out pretty quickly that that wasn't fair to the candidate because they may not have had the autonomy to innovate. Maybe their boss put them in a box and they had to write a letter every time they want to make a change. So what we started to do was talk about their personal life. What was in the pandemic actually made that conversation easier because we'd say, Hi, Johanna, like what was the last change you've made? The most significant change during the pandemic that, that pressed on vulnerability, openness, but you know, ability to change, um, but, but also curiosity. What was the thing you were curious about? You know? And what did you do about that? What do you do when you're curious? And what was, and we'll push for personal examples. Do you think we're on the right track or did you guys use some of those same strategies? I
2: I think you're absolutely on the right track. I I think the more you can get to the, the actual behaviors that people um, portray around curious mindsets around, I would say that goes with a learning mindset pretty much. And, it's okay not to know certain things, you know, it's, it's absolutely in the right direction through examples. And and we all know that what we find in the past will probably predict certain things for the future.
1: Right. Right.
2: <laughs> and, and I think you're spot on.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause it, cause it does feel like to your point, you want to get to that authentic person because the resume is BS and the, you know, this, it, you really, it's, and, and we try to go to your past experience. How did you show up in the past? Not, not hypothetical examples. You know, we, we, we were probably 80-20. We'll do a little bit of that too, some, some future problem solving. Okay, that's good. So, so what does that look like today? Is that still the same mindset at Tyson Foods? Because we're, we're back, you know, in, in a former life. Did you bring that forward? And, and does it look different today?
2: Yeah, so when I said earlier that this was really the epiphany that, that probably has guided my whole career. It absolutely is. So wherever I've been since then, I often found, not often, almost all the time have found myself in a situation where there was something that maybe had been tried. It didn't work. Um, In Germany, it was about works councils and unions about bringing newly, you know, East and West together. Uh, it, It was a lot about change that had to be revisited because it was problematic, it was difficult, always true because I worked my whole career, 25 plus years in in human resources, in in, in a people function, but always with that lens. And and it has served me so well because it is a different lens than you would normally find in in very, I would say traditional human resource professional uh, approaches. And it just offers you, I think, a different angle to see the 360 and maybe not, not to um, go too far in here, but I, I, somehow this combination of having studied economics, I ended up doing my master's in economics, which you know how it is, it's always 360 and you just deep dive into all data from all angles. And then you understand the microeconomics and microeconomics, all of that. And then this marketing angle, those two degrees and still 25 years in HR, it, it is not very common. But it has definitely served, uh, served a served purpose for me.
1: Just just having that lens you're saying, but but did you know how did that land at Tyson? Because, and I'm not sure if that was your perspective before you landed there, but but that's change management too. you 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 know that's a that that's a belief. And so, you know, when I say that, like like I believe that some founders, some executives believe that no, you treat employees one way and customers. So how did you change people's belief?
2: Yeah, so the fascinating thing here is that, um, as you probably know, Tyson Foods is is a a family company, and and this is now we have um, a fourth generation Tyson team member as my peer, which is so fascinating to read and understand the history. And our chairman is the third generation uh, Tyson family member. And our chairman's father, I think, was the one who said um, that real success of the company is the result of a genuine commitment to the people, to take care of the people. And the reason I feel so at home here is because that resonates. That resonates directly with what I believe in. I started to talk about when I understood the terminology about customer experience, which came long before team member employee experience. Uh, when I started to understand that, I started to apply everything I could read and come across about customer experience and put the employee experience lens on top of it. So Signing. that that's sort of been my, like now I have a terminology. Now I have a, a concept right. and a framework for the things that I believe in. And then I read about... The statement that I just made about take care of our people and we will be successful. I said this is my place. This is where I feel at home.
1: Let me play that back to you. So it sounds like there was a there was an alignment from a belief system. They might have talked about it a little differently, but the belief was treat people really well. You know, they said treat them really well. You said treat them like customers. And so it sounds like there was alignment out of the gates. You came in and said, look, let let me just let me paint. Um, let me add to the picture, not paint a different picture. Let me add to that picture through through language and maybe through strategy.
2: Yes. So um, our CEO today, Mr. Donna King, who is a 40-year veteran with the company who grew up uh-huh. working in the plants and is today the CEO. That's the perfect success story of the American dream, isn't it? Uh, he um, he, early on in his tenure, he's now one year in, but early on, he... he put a lens on exactly what we're talking about. And he said, we have a direct strategy to combine these elements. We need to win with our customers and consumers. We need to win with our team members and we need to win with excellence and execution. And those three things paired up says exactly that there is no difference between the customers, consumers, and the team members. they, They are at the core and we can talk about different cohorts of team members. We, we can talk about frontline and hourly, and we can talk about office, mm. or salaried, but in the end, it's about team members and the experience that team members have at a company. If we focus on that, if we realize that we need to win with them, we will think about that team member experience very differently.
1: Right. Of course. You know, it reminds me a little bit of our, um, probably two quarters ago, we had our strategic planning session with our team. Now we're about 25 in the office level. And then we have about 35, 45 frontline. So what we call, the industry would call this superintendents, we call them building ambassadors. And they, like our tagline for Vita is creating community. And it's the building ambassadors, the frontliners that do that. I mean, we support and guide them, but they do it. I mean, they, they are creating community and we're so proud of them for it. And so they are are as important, uh, sometimes even more than our customers. And a statement that I gave the team uh, during quarterly was, look, I want to be very crystal clear about something. If I, the founder and CEO, call you at 4 p.m. on Friday, and at the same time, a building ambassador calls you 4 p.m. on Friday, who do you think you call back first? And everyone knows the answer. It's not me, you know? So I've been trying to be very purposeful about how do I continue to keep that message going as we scale? So I'll come back to Tyson. I mean, Tyson Foods, I've got it here. It's 160 countries, three continents, 137,000 employees. How do, you, how do you scale that? Because I hear you, you know, you're very close. You're working with the new CEO. How's that message scaled? Because it keeps me up at night thinking, how am I going to do that?
2: Yeah, so I, I think this goes back to the basics, about what culture really is and means, it is nothing without the values. If you do not have the values to stand on that will carry you through the ups and downs, you cannot depend on the culture to do that. You cannot. The values are the ones that will make sure that you know who you are, what you look like and how you will behave. And those values have held very uh, true to the company's evolution through the years. They have not changed. And that's about taking care of the customers, taking care of the people, and taking care of the animals. Uh, And and I would say, when you think about scaling, so Tyson has grown through acquisitions, two very sizable acquisitions lately in the US. um, IBP, uh, which brought in pork and uh, beef. Tyson was originally chicken. And then Hillshire Farms, which brought us closer to to the retail and and a lot of known um, household product names like Jimmy Dean and so forth, um, very distinct cultures that were different from the Tyson chicken culture.
1: Right.
2: about it. Very distinctly different. And I would claim that is still today, even though these acquisitions are are 8 to 15, 16 years out, the cultures are different. The values are the same. We care for our people. We want to keep our people safe. And and that makes the company stronger. And I I am a huge advocate for those values. I'm also a huge advocate for the purpose of the company. I I think, and and I've heard you talk about that in in some of your previous uh, podcasts as well. And and I am absolutely with you. These two, the value and the purpose together, makes the company. I believe that you can, you can get to an aspirational culture. You, you can say what you want your culture to be, but in the end, you can only really hold the people true to their values.
1: But let, let's go one layer deeper. So I agree 100% on you need to have values and that should drive behavior and that behavior should create the experience for everybody. But to execute, right? Because there's some people that are listening that have created values but they just they can't they can't execute they can't live them and as your company scales that becomes harder and harder now you know I always say look at a, at a hundred thousand feet you screen for onboard you praise publicly and coach privately if you do that you can kind of keep them alive and that should give you a path to scale what do you, what are you seeing what else is going on because you guys are a tremendously large company how are they kept alive how how do they come to life
2: so. In its simplest form, it's about um, doing what's right. I I don't know another way to say it, but if you know that you're doing what's right, you're probably living the values. And if you think about Tyson's workforce today, 139,000, almost 140,000.
1: I was off by 10. I was off by 9,000, so sorry.
2: (laughs) It's fine. Uh, The... The turnover in this industry is really high, really high. The frontline workers, uh, like the whole country today, it turns, turns a lot. So it's very hard to make sure that you ensure that the culture is what it needs to be. But the values are brought forward in the onboarding and by the team members around uh, you all the time. And that that is uh, really, really an important aspect of doing what's right and take action when something isn't right and help people see where their boundaries are, but then give them, empower them to do what's right within those boundaries. That's how you make sure people can grow. You know, um, I said, I I think I mentioned that, but 139,000 team members from all walks of life. We probably, Tyson probably today is one of the most diverse companies in this country in the United States and whether it is fully known or not I'm not sure we're going to we're going to work on making sure that this is a place known to the bigger workforce either with us today or outside of the company that want to work for us where people do belong that that is understood because of our diversity because of that strength and when I say all walks of life it's everything from refugees to immigrants to we have four generation team members you know, that worked before them in the, in the plants. It's, it's such a richness. And the question is, how do we uh, allow people to be who they are? And that is the belonging part, but still feel that they have the values that they can associate themselves with. I also have this belief that if you hire for value match, you're good. Right. <laughs> you will right. not have issues. And, and that is pretty hard, but it's a very, very important thing. You've done your, yourself and the company a huge service if you are able to do that. higher for value match, M- meaning my values matches with the company's values. I know I belong here. I will fit. I can be myself. I can, I can be you know, uh, the one who will make sure that other people fit. I, you know, I, I will be able to make this place stronger and I will feel good in doing so.
1: So, so look, help me with this because I feel like I've bounced back and forth on screening for values before or after screening for fit. And I'm sorry, not fit because I, I actually call it value, but but screening for, um, you know, can can they produce results? Do they know how to do the job? Today, I'm I'm closer to you know, I I I've I flipped probably in the last twelve months. It used to be values first, and then let's see if they can do the job. But then I thought we were really. If, if someone was aligned from a values perspective, then we bought into the person. And then sometimes <clears throat> even from a performance standpoint, we thought there was misalignment. We thought we can train them. And that, that actually didn't work out for us a few times. And so we've actually switched now to say, look, let's make sure two plus two equals four, and they know how to do the equation. And then let's look for values. What are your thoughts as I'm talking here?
2: Yeah, I, I do think you need both. Uh, but the one thing I would never ignore is the value because that's what you would refer to as cultural fit, if you of like. Course. There are many many terms for, for the same um, aspiration here or must have, not aspiration must have. I think you, you have you have more flexibility on the ensuring that, that people will be fully equipped to do the job. Than you have on the values. Great point. So you are
1: no, great point. Absolutely. You have more flexibility, you have more in your control to support them with tools, systems, training than you do in beliefs and values. That's what you said, correct? Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, I, so so and it's funny, and that's also, you know, that's there's some jobs that could be a frontline worker. So in Tyson, as I'm as I'm talking loud here, I'm thinking, well. There's probably some jobs that it's the values are probably more important more important first because you can train them. Where if you looked at maybe a different role like an accountant that really had to have a designation, really need to understand the job through experience, maybe you do go uh, performance first before values. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I would say frontline team members. The the, the work that we do in our plants today because it's not all automated. We're working towards getting much more automation in and technology in our plans. The work that we do is, is not requiring um, skills to start with and on the so, front line.
1: So you would be values first all day there. Yes. All right. day. Makes sense. All day. So look, I wanted to go, um, and I want to catch a few topics before we run out of time. I want to talk about belonging because you talked about this and, and I think there's this pressure um, post-pandemic, let's call it, you know, although the monkey pox are starting to get around there a little bit. Um, but post-pandemic or, you know, even late stages of the pandemic, there, there's more pressure to be a purposeful company and purpose-built company. You've talked about that with Tyson. And that I believe that, that that's true. And I believe that there's you know, pressure to do it and it gives people a sense of belonging. But I'm curious at Tyson, and, I'm, and, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that in the plants, it's it's business as usual. Fine, safety might have changed or something, or 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 health things. But but these people working together, they need to their front lines. What about how is Tyson creating a sense of belonging with people that aren't at the aren't aren't at the factories and front lines? What what are the strategies there, and how has that changed over the pandemic?
2: Yeah, so I I think we've learned a lot. Like everyone learned a lot these last two years. Uh, two and a half years about what really matters. And I think we've we've been able to do a lot of soul searching every one of us as individuals as had companies and leadership teams as well. So we know all of that. And the question was, what does that do for us? What do we know? Well, what we do know is that we learn to live our lives just a little bit different. Um, Some of us very different. And one specific thing that I think helped all of us was technology. We were were required to find different ways to go about getting our food maybe uh, delivered to us, to our homes, or whatever it might be. Maybe more people started shopping online. A lot of different things. We just learned to work through technology if we hadn't already by then. And I think... For, for Tyson Foods, what that meant was also an, an, a realization that here is a workforce, frontline workers who we maybe have considered in the past as not being technology savvy right. uh, or not having the tools like mobile phones in their lives. We might have perceived that to be the case. I think that's not only Tyson Foods. that's many companies that think about their frontline team members like that. And the same maybe for office workers, because we all remember the times where we had better equipment uh, at work than at home, and then it flipped. Now we have better equipment and tools at home than we have at work sometimes, depending on what kind of work we do, right? That has changed. And I think this this all uh, helped us see that there are different things to get the job accomplished using technology. And we you asked specifically about office workers, I think my simplest example is, uh, most simple example is Sue. That's just something we all learned, whether it was Zoom or, or um, any other of these um, uh, ways of getting together. And, and there were ways probably that helped us see that we can serve customers without always traveling and all of these. We all, we all saw different ways. What that led us to do, I think, faster than it would have otherwise, is what are those technology-enabled um uh, tools or, or processes, I should say, that we can put in place that we now learned to work with. So, we, so uh,
1: Johanna, sorry, Johanna, sorry to interrupt, but to to create that sense of belonging, to enhance belonging, okay? Is that what we're yeah. talking about? Okay. Yes. Yeah, keep going.
2: So what I would give you as an example is uh, how do we communicate with our team members? How do we reach them? Whereas in the past it would have been in the plans through shift change or people walking out to the shift in the line and talking to them or calling them off the shift and having meetings. In the offices, it would have been through team meetings. Like what are ways that we can get more of that belonging and the sharing and, and simple tools like Beekeeper, uh, which is, is almost like an internal Facebook, if you like, uh, that everyone can use is, is one way to get there. People sharing their stories, their recognitions, their moments in the plant or when they go together as teams and they do, uh, uh, you know, uh, food pantries or, you know, deliveries and and donations and things like that, that are strengthening the team and feeling that, hey, this is what Tyson is all about.
1: So using technology that allow, enable them to share stories, connect with people, so it, 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 and I think you called it, what was the technology called? Beekeeper? Beekeeper. Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't heard of that. We would use like a uh, work, workplace, I think, or teams for the office and workplace. Yeah, so it sounds very similar-ish.
2: Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that we did uh, specifically to the to the belonging aspect is introduce a engagement survey. And I know you might say, well, that's all news. Well, for Tyson, it was new news. <laughs> we We had not had an engagement survey before, and often um, that was explained with, well, because we have frontline workers and we can't do this pen and paper, that's too cumbersome. So um, we're not doing engagement surveys. But I, I will share with you that all my colleagues here are laughing about it. I said, when I came two years ago to Tyson, I was told that our team members don't have access to mobile phones or technology. So, you know, what well, we want to what we want to do is not going to is not going to be uh, possible because of that because they don't have the, 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 the tools to do this. so i remember my plant tour i took pictures of the cafeteria and they were all on their, phone. on their phones and i said i i can't i can't help but uh, but smile because sometimes we do this right we associate it, what kind of job you do defines you and then we're thinking therefore you are not yeah, you can make
1: a judgment. You judge, yeah. right? Yeah. And that,
2: that's a little unfortunate, I feel. Mm-hmm. But, point being, when we realized that they do have tools, we learned through COVID that QR codes is the way you're going to download a menu or you're going to see where you want to eat in the, right. in, the, uh, in the restaurant. So, we put QR codes up in the plants, and that's how they snapped the survey on their phones and participated. And we had 55,000 people participate in the wow. plant with their own phones the first time we did it two years ago. Point being that there are different ways to bring people on board and make sure that they feel that they belong by using technology. And here we have a great outcome of an engagement survey that I, by the way, am really proud of. We have a 78% engagement across the whole workforce, including 100,000 frontline team members.
1: Fantastic.
2: times. And over 110,000 people um, responding to that so
1: survey. What brings us to that? I have two things I wrote down. One is what is one of the key questions? Because I don't know how long this is, but what's, what's something that stands out to you that is the most revealing question that you ask?
2: Uh, we ask uh, the normal question of, you know, how satisfied are you with your work today? Uh, we ask if you were given a chance uh, to get the same pay and benefits, would you leave the company? The good question. About, um, I like that.
1: That's a tough question. I like
2: Yeah, that. it is a tough question, but it's. It. I think it gets to the core of, yep. you know, you're not talking about just getting more pay. You're talking about whether you belong here, whether you like the work you do here, um, and you feel good about that. And I, I think those are are... Probably the two that brings us closest to Mm -hmm. uh, what it's all about in the end, and where we can focus. And then, of course, as you know, these questions uh, have the opportunity to to uh, get your comments as well, and you can input comments against that. And and I I think
1: that's I think that's very important to have a field for comments, and and whether it's anonymous or non anonymous or the optional, it's really annoying. What I think from an you know, back to the customer, if a customer couldn't tell you why or they did or didn't score you that way, it's also annoying. So it sounds like you're continuing to have that customer lens. And um, what was the biggest on the first survey, or maybe the last? What's the biggest thing you've learned? What's the biggest like, wow, we didn't know what we didn't know. This is interesting.
2: Yeah, I think we do know that, uh, that our people are, uh, are doing a lot of important work and they feel that they're prioritizing the right things. I think that's, that's a great outcome. We feel that they are proud of the work they do. We know that they're proud of the work they do. We also know that they have a, a, a strong appreciation for their opportunity to grow. I think that's a, a huge takeaway. The first survey what we learned which, which made me feel really good is that they feel safe at work. They feel that Tyson care about their health and safety. And no, that was important.
1: And what was the biggest opportunity? What was like, wow, geez, we, because uh, it was funny when you said safe and just because it's such a hot topic. And of course with Tyson, it's like human being safety. I was thinking safe, like, in, you know, diversity, inclusion, safe. I feel safe to, to, to talk to someone.
2: Right, psychological safety. Right, psychological
1: mm-hmm. safety, sorry, yeah. So what yeah. was the biggest, okay, we've got to revisit this. We need to look at that
2: our biggest opportunity continues to be communication. Right. Because again, if you think about this, we have like over 70 languages spoken uh, to communicate to our our workforce that I just explained how diverse they are is a challenge. We have a lot of interpreters. We have our own interpreters in-house and we try to communicate a lot through pictures, which makes it a little easier. To, to cut across, but there are certain messages you can't, of course, that requires uh, the, the translation. So uh, I, I think we have a lot of opportunity in the communication space, and those technologies will help us. We're, for example, now talking about enhancing the team member experience. We're bringing in a whole transformation of, of HR and how we do uh, our HR processes by using self-service technology and ServiceNow. Uh, so, which is where the team member actually use tablets or their own mobile phones, which we're also piloting in some plants, where they can type in in their own language their questions, and the the other side, our my team, will receive it in in their native language. They reply in their native language, and the team member will receive the response back in right. their native
1: language. Like a Google Translate ish.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And at the same time, it's it's a, a case management.
1: Right. Right. It's recorded.
2: Yeah, Yeah, so the case management records the case.
1: Right, right. There's
2: a follow-up and you get your own uh, statistics of how quickly you solve a case and is it still pending? And you, you make sure that you know what the topics are about, which again informs you how you can improve processes. Got it. A lot of questions about the same matters.
1: So yeah, Johanna, look, this has been a fantastic conversation. What, what what have we not talked about that's top of mind that you're thinking about that, you know, is either an opportunity, a challenge? What's something we haven't discussed today that you'd like the, the listeners to hear?
2: So I think I, I talked about um, the team member experience and the customer experience going hand in hand and how important that is. I think we we are... Uh, a pretty traditional industry when it comes to food, very essential, very traditional in how the way we've done things. And a lot of the manual work that happens in the plants on the line we're automating, the same goes for the team member experience. So I keep using these stories like, um, we have a lot of of, uh, white glove service around HR and high touch. And I said, if you think about the way that works in their life outside of work, it would mean that you have your team members standing in line in the post office to change their address. That's what we are doing here today. And if you right. think about that, they don't want that. We might think they do, <laughs> but they don't want that. They actually want to change their address on another time when it's good to them, like we do online with the post office. Uh, so give them the tools to do that. So they don't have to use their shift change or their lunch break. To come and talk to hr
1: right if we so talk through those
2: examples and the stories mm-hmm. i have the same thinking of how do we get the gig economy to really work for us meaning people don't always want to work five days a week on the on the front line right but that's how we think what if they only want to work on a monday what if the truck driver only want to drive this route on a wednesday and thursday how do we accommodate that it's almost like you become a temp agent and uh, accommodate what the team members need and want so that they feel fulfilled and they have a purpose that matches what you need to achieve.
1: Well, it's funny, you know, when I think of that, I think of uh, Jim Collins' latest book, B2.0, which I just finished and I really love that book. I don't don't know if you've seen it yet, but I I highly recommend reading it. And thank you, Jim Collins, for writing that. But, you know, it talks about, because I'm into... I really am into autonomy and, you know, you know, the subtitle of my first book was giving people their brains back and staying out of people's way and being nimble and fast and having lots of flexibility, like what you're talking about, because I, you know, to me the opposite is bureaucracy and, you know, and, and bottlenecks. But, you know, the interesting thing is it talks about it in the book is, the way that I like things also creates some chaos. Like, you know, so if you give someone who just wants to do that shift on Monday, then who's going to fill up like it's chaotic, but it's kind of free. And, and, and it get it it builds a life, it's own and breeze versus the sticky stuck molasses Mm -hmm. in my view, which is very, you know, it's, it's clear, but it's slow and it's bureaucratic. It feels like those things that like uh, would you agree?
2: Yeah, no, I, I do agree. I think you have, so there is so much that, that we need to think about from a more holistic perspective. What, why are we really here? We talked about the purpose. Our purpose is to raising the world's expectations of how much good uh, food can do. So think about that and the perspective of team members. I just said, refugees, immigrants, all walks of lives. We bring the whole aspect of how much good food can do. Right to play when we talk about these are people who we have a huge opportunity to help them with their lives. We give them immigration services, English as a second language is a lot of the things that we offer. We now offer the full uh, education portal for all our team members for free, uh, which means you know they can see a career path and opportunity with us that they never could have dreamt of before. And that gives inspiration, not just to them, but think about that. You just now on parentally, right? Think about what that does for your kids. When you see that something that looks very different as a life and career trajectory for your parents, for your family, all of a sudden has all these openings, all these possibilities. What does that do to the community and the society? I think that's where we say Tyson is in smack in the middle of ensuring that there is a lot of good we can do.
1: Children. I love it. Well, that's a mic drop. Johanna, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. I've got uh, two pages of notes. So thank you very much. Great to see you again. And I hope to, I, I said this before the podcast, you know, I think I'm going to put Arkansas on my, on my bucket list now. I'm going to move it over. It was not on there. I'm going to move it up there.
2: I think you should. <laughs> this is a wonderful hidden place, a gem. Thanks well, thank
1: you. Me. And and look, thanks for the work that you do and uh, for, you know, and thanks for uh, sharing with our audience today. Thanks for being a guest.
0: Thank you. For more information about Johanna, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or the Scaling Culture Masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.